Matthew 18, if you would, please turn your Bible. Many Christians are trapped sitting behind walls of animosity and deep-seated anger because of the hurts endured from what? From friends, from relatives, and numbers of wider Christian community. The devil, ever seeking an advantage in his war against people, has many of us immobilized, waiting for the elusive day when justice will be served. When the wrongs will be made right, we will be vindicated. Until such a time, many have taken themselves out of the race of life to mark time, waiting for a better day. Jesus was realistic about us as humans. And here's what he said, and you can see in his word, Woe to the world because of offenses. For it must needs that offenses will come and shall come. Verse 7. You see, the Greek word for the word offense or offenses is scandalon, from which we get the word scandal. The word originally was used for a small part of a trap to which the bait was attached. Thus, it was translated offense or stumbling block or snare. We can use it to refer to anything that becomes a hindrance to others or causes them to fall by the way. And so what was Jesus saying in effect? That it is inevitable that some people will offend others. And you see... Satan uses these offenses to keep them bound. God wants us to do what? To be free from resentment. Even the injustices that have been done against us are not made right. Even if those who have wronged us do not apologize. In fact, there are some people with whom reconciliation is impossible either because they refuse to admit that they have done wrong or they expect to admit to things of which we believe we are innocent of others desire reconciliation only as a further excuse to control those with whom they are estranged isn't that interesting Even so, God wants us to be free from the resentment, from anger that quenches the Holy Spirit to allow us to have freedom in our lives. Consider the other side of the coin. For every person wronged, there is someone who has done the wrong. What this means is that many see themselves as victims of injustice. But actually, they have also perpetrated injustice or cruelty of various kinds. The fact is, we are usually blind to our own faults, magnifying the failure of others and minimizing our own. Isn't that interesting with offenses? 
unless we see our own failures, we will never be able to deal biblically with the failures of others. Unless we are willing to be honest about our sins, we will always distort and overreact to the sins of others. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is with us to reveal our own needy hearts. What would we do without the Holy Spirit? What would we do without the Spirit of God being our GPS to help us, to guide us, to allow us to see? And you'll see through this series of messages that suffering comes in all different forms and offenses come in all different forms. Bob, can you, you can shut the air off if you would please. Let us determine that we will no longer carry offenses. Why? They have hindered our walk with God. In letting God free us, we discover that what? We can free others. In order that the name of Christ be honored in our churches and in our families. Offenses. We're always offended. It's always the other person's fault. I didn't do it. They did it. And I always say this. With offenses comes perception. Perspective. We see things differently. We experience them. And then sometimes we assume we know. Before I go to the Lord in prayer. It says woe to the world because offenses will take place. And in this series of messages, I'm going to take you through a journey through the Bible that as I was traveling back through Charleston, uh, South Carolina, that it was at the time that I've studied this a long time ago, but I think we as a church are at a place where we understand sometimes we suffer for wrong. And sometimes we have to be crucified with Christ. As a minister of the gospel, as a Christian, I'm going to share some stories of some hurt in my own walk, hurt in my own life. But as we journey just today, hopefully you'll see that we can let go of some idols that we have in our life. We can let go of some offenses that we have in our life. And we then can be free from the entrapment or the snare that Satan has put us under. From our childhood, from what others have said about us, from our parents, from our siblings, from people in the church from our ex-wife, our ex-husband, because we want to hold on to those offenses because we nurture that and because it feels good. But in all reality, it separates us from the love of God. It separates us from really coming into true fellowship with Jesus Christ. Would you say this with me this morning? Would you agree that all of us need freed? We know that offenses will take place. We know that, that there's all kinds of hurts that take place.
I want a healthy church. Because I know I've had a hurting church. We've all hurt in some way or another. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you are real. And that, fathers, we journey through offenses. Lord, help us to understand truly what the word has to say in all areas of conflict. Lord, hide me behind the cross this morning. Lord, free all of us. Let us just run in victory. Let us know that your word is clear, it's rich, it has wisdom, and that we can now use this and apply it to our lives. Father God, thank you for your presence and your spirit this morning. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Suffering wrong. I'm taking it directly from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. You don't have to turn there. Where Paul refers to Christians taking one another to court. Where I asked the question, why are you doing that? Wouldn't it be better to just suffer the loss because this is a bad witness? Have you ever had to suffer wrong? What we are going to do is look how Satan uses offenses and binds people so that there is a wall between them and and God so that they can't move ahead spiritually they are stuck right where they're at so what is our goal over the next several weeks well first to uncover hidden bitterness and resentment that lie deep within our soul you see we can't find them unless we are honest and this morning we need to seek the blessed Holy Spirit to seek us in such a way to see if those kinds of sins and resentments lurks within our soul. And secondly, we'd like to bring in reconciliation with the wounded parties. Erwin Lutzer says this, For every person that has been hurt, that there is a hurter who does the hurting, and sometimes we often forget that. Perhaps the herders are sitting here today. Our main goal is to clear our consciences so that we are free from offenses before God and before man. And these kinds of offenses and hurts that clog our connections with God. So we ask God to get rid of the clutter and debris from our lives. And I ask you, are you? In favor of that. Most of our hurts come from people that are close to us. Normally our offenses aren't with our enemies as some of us would expect that. Got a phone call. I was down with my cousin Ed down in Charleston and he told me that he put on this deck for this man. And uh, as he put the deck on, he asked Ed, he said, would you go ahead and stain the deck? Because he was an older elderly gentleman, my cousin Ed, and being the, the Christian man that he is, he said, sure, I'll go ahead and do it for you. So the man went to Lowe's, picked up the stain. As he picked up the stain, uh, brought it back to Ed. Ed read the label, went to Lowe's, said, how do you apply this? They told him how to apply it. You have to put it on with a sprayer, so on and so forth. Ed put it on with a sprayer. Ed's eating dinner. He gets a knock at the door, and all of a sudden, he, he looks out. This man's standing at his door at his home. Ed opens up the door, and he says, you. 
you've ruined my deck. Ed looks at him and says, what do you mean? I ruined your deck? He said, yes, you've ruined my deck. And Ed said, well, how did I ruin your deck? You have to come over and see it. Now, Ed, I have called you and you've not returned my phone call. Ed said, I did return your phone call. Let me show you in my phone. So he proceeded. He said, I'll be over directly after dinner and I'll take a look at it. Ed said he went over there, about had a heart attack because it had dried. And if you've ever stained, it kind of had different shadings and bubbles and so on and so forth. But because he sprayed it on... You know, you, you saw the different dimensions and depths and so on and so forth. So Ed's standing there, and the man looks directly right ahead of him and says, You will flip these boards over. This is unacceptable. Ed said, Sir, I did exactly what it said to do. Ed, he looked at Ed. He goes, Are you going to do it? And Ed said, No. So Ed went to Lowe's. He said, Here's the problem that we have. The guy said, Did you guys use treated lumber? And Ed said, yes, it was treated lumber. He stained it. it. That's what it looks like once you you stain treated lumber. It shows different dimensions, so on and so forth. I say all that to say that yesterday morning, Ed calls me and tells me. I said, where did you, you come from? He said, oh, the attorney's office. The man's suing me. I said, the man's suing you? Ed, is he a Christian? He said, yes. I said, now, you went to Lowe's. Now, explain this to me. You went to Lowe's. And you told the associate that works there with this type of stain, what happened? He goes, oh, it's treated lumber. And he goes, yeah, it is treated lumber. He goes, just do it again. It'll darken it up. That's how you have to do it. You have to treat it several different times. It's not your fault. That's the product. So he proceeds to tell me, yes, I'm going to court. The question is this. Did he buy the stain? No. The man went and picked up the stain and applied it exactly how it's said to be applied, put it down. This is how it turned out. Is Ed guilty? No. Everything is perception and perspective. Ed said, I've done so much business for this man, it's unbelievable. I said, but isn't it amazing when all of a sudden, and I will show you in Scripture, when we have a beam in our eye, often it's very difficult to take the sawdust out of somebody else's eye. And so Ed started to notice, wait a minute. Hurts don't come from enemies. Hurts come from people that know us. And why in the world do we hurt one another the way we do? Because I believe that pride creeps up within our soul. And we just can't suppress it. Turn with me, if you would, please, in Psalms chapter 55. Psalms 55, we're going to read through 12 through 14. These are the words of David. Here's what David said. Now listen closely, because I find this... Just such a challenge in my own life. And we understand that the suffering that David went through, most of us know that he and Saul had a great, him and, him and the king had a great relationship. Even David was a man after God's own heart. He played the fiddle for him. I mean, he, the harp, he, he just, he loved the king. But yet even David says, conflict will come. So we read together in verse 12, for it, is, for it was not an enemy that, reproached me then i could have borne it neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me 
then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man, my equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. You see, we took sweet counsel together, and we walked into the house of God in company. He said it was his friend that hurt him. Isn't that just a pondering thought? They walked together. They talked together. And yet, I had to look at that twice and go, wow, that was his friend. You know what that kind of reminds me of? How is it we have children together? We have friends that we raise our children together. They play on the same soccer team, the softball team, the basketball team. They chair together. And offenses come. The friendship is ruined. How is it that in marriage... The person that we're intimate with, the person that we love, that we respect, that we honor, that we appreciate, all of a sudden, we loathe the sight of them. Because you know what took place? Satan came in the destroyer to destroy the oneness that this couple had. And so now they never dealt with their offenses, and now it's trickled over into what? The second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth marriage, the seventh marriage, because it was never dealt with in the very beginning. I've said in the ministry, I thought they were my friend. And for years... This is year number nine of the, the wonderful maturity of New Hope Christian Fellowship. And I have to tell you, I have said, what did I do? Or what didn't I do enough of? Offenses. Let me give you an example of some of these offenses that Satan uses to keep people bound. Unfulfilled promises. Listen, you lend someone money and they say, I will get it back as soon as I get back on my feet. Later on, you know they have it because they travel by your workplace in a brand new shiny automobile. A new house. New clothes. I love this illustration of a dentist who said, you know what? I'm not going to church any longer. I'm going to stop. Because so many of those choir members were singing through teeth that he had fixed that had not been paid. Can he justify his actions? Two, breaking of confidence. Using someone or somebody's name out of character. When you know you didn't say it, and don't you think you would remember what you said if you did say it? That's a punishment. Third, rejection, abuse, and racism. A cutting or degrading remark can last and linger for a long time. I was traveling down Triplet the other day, and I heard, a boom, 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 And I'm like, what in the world is that? My windows were up. I had the air conditioning on. So I went, 
I look over, and I'm like, oh, that's a nice car. It was a, a MXZ Lincoln little SUV. And my dear friend was in there just rapping away. I don't know who he was. He, they used the N-word. They used a B-word. They used the A-word. So I just kindly did one of these numbers. What? I thought to myself, brother, why are you listening to that kind of put-down through the whole thing? Isn't it amazing? The whole time I heard the N-word about 15, 20, 25 times. But Exodus chapter 20, I think, verse 13 says, The iniquities of the Father will be passed down from generation to generation. And today, if you use, and one of my dearest friends is a black gentleman. I love him. You have all met him. He's a pastor friend of mine. And I don't say that word to him. I don't disrespect him like that. But they'll say to each other, but they'll hold on to offenses, clear back that took place years ago when their ancestors were slaves. Isn't it amazing? I, we've, we've got to let go of some of that. We are Americans, and I think we have a generation right now of Americans that some of your parents may have lived in North Hill that came from Italy. We've all had some great privileges. We have the Nepali, the Bhutanese. Now we've got the Korean coming in. We've got to realize that God sent his only begotten begotten son and died for all mankind be careful what you say and don't allow satan to bind you up because of what somebody else says about you false accusations something is said and both parents defend their child even though both parents were friends and so you have it a wedge between them example you know she said this to that one, and that one said that one to this one, and both parents that are adults are now no longer getting along because mommy decided to take up this little one's offense, and this mommy decided to take up that one's offense. Amen? We see it. Instead of saying, wait a minute, are we dealing with offenses? Are they right or are they wrong? Turn with me, if you would, please, to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, verses 19. Isn't speaking of offenses and hurts and hang-ups, it puts all of us on edge. It puts all of us in an awkward position because Satan has made reconciliation an awkward feeling. And so this is why this has been a prayed-up message Proverbs 18, verse 19 says this. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Even though it seems impossible, I pray that you're looking at this as possible. Let's look at the part of the scripture that is translated bars or walls. We would say that bars or walls are used for what? For protection. To keep people in or to keep people out. 
You go to any county jail, you'll find out there are bars there. That's to keep some people in. That's to keep some people out. So there's some safety that's there. You see, a brother offended is going to build a wall, a very deep foundation so that the wrong people will never come back into his or her life again. Sometimes living in isolation so no one will ever hurt them again. They build up these strong walls and this strong tower. You see, reconciliation with offended brother or sister is very, very difficult. Barriers between friends can rise easily but are destroyed with difficulty. You know, I'm in counseling, and I always give this illustration. It's always, it's always amazing as you can watch a mason, a bricklayer. He takes that brick, he puts it on that wall, he, he slaps that, what is it? Mortar in between, slap, and then he puts another brick up there, and then another brick, and they build, and they build, and they build, and before long you have this mighty fortress, this mighty tower. Have you ever tried to take down one of those walls? I haven't, but I've watched... And it wears me. I start sweating watching people take sledgehammers and stuff to those brick walls. You see, that's like our life. To get rid of some of those offenses and problems that we have, you have to take off one brick at a time. It's difficult. So it doesn't make it easy. But in the midst of it all, the Holy Spirit starts to minister and reconciliation starts to take place. Now, we notice here in the latter part of the bars of a castle, you cannot remove them. You see, they're very difficult. Walls, brick, metal, strongholds, dealing with human relationships are difficult. Those are strongholds. Those are things that sometimes we just can't get over. So here we are. Let me give you some characteristics of a person who has an offense and will not let it go we become blind to our own faults the walls are so high the walls are so great that the only person getting in or coming through the gate is the one that will side with him or her the walls are so high and so thick he can't see his own faults and when we have an offense We are blinded, blinded to our own faults. That brings us to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, that's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. And the pastor's not there because I went to chapter 1. I don't know where I was headed on that one. Maybe there's something in there I need to see. I'll have to read that later. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 says this. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what measure you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote and that can be interpreted the speck that is in thy brother's eye but consider not the beam or the plank or the railroad tie that is in thine own eye 
Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your care or pearls before swine, lest they be trampled them under their feet and turn again and rend you. So we see it is a reflection of what is in his own eye. But the problem with this story, he cannot see it. A beam. Blinded by Satan, and so his pain runs so deep, and here's what he says. The hurt is so great, and what has been done to me, I will justify and have the right to hurt other people, because after all, I have been hurt. Wham! I have had people for years tell me. How many have been in the workplace, invited somebody to church, and they look at you and go, nope, I can't stand those hypocrites. I've heard it. We are all sinners saved by grace. We're not hypocrites. We're just trying to live a good life for Jesus Christ. We're trying to go into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. The problem is, pride creeps in. You have this big, huge beam. And here's what he's saying. You can't see your own faults. Go look in the mirror. And so here we are. He is blinded, number two, by the desire for vengeance. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 19. And as you're turning there, you'll see the person who holds an offense will seek justice, or more than that, vengeance. And they desire to see somebody or someone destroyed. Verses 10 through 19. And I love this. Let's just kind of set a platform before we get to where he gets angry and wants to get back at his brother. He starts off verse 10 and says, Oh, but be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. And that word means associate with the humble. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense, repay to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, here it is, verse 19. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
it is very difficult for somebody to let go of that hurt or to let go of his or her offense. And here's what happens. They want everybody else to feel the same way. Have you been there before? I'm guilty. I'm going to stand up here. I'm transparent. I'm guilty. I have said they've hurt me, and you know what? I just have to share. I don't have to share anything. Right? But we do because we want people to know that I'll get back at him. I'll be vengeful. The old song that I've sung in the years of the ministry, the battle's not mine, says little David, Lord, it's thine, I'm in your favor. I've given it all to you. I knew not what to do. But now you've let me see. You're really all that I need. The battle's not mine. I give it to you. Lord, it's thine. We want vengeance. We will pay back evil for evil. Because it makes me feel good. And yet, we will even talk to God about it. Have. Show your vengeance. But yet, as my wife and I have said, and many of you have said too, that's still God's child. He loves them as much as he loves me. Even in the New Testament, the sons of thunder, you know the story, they wanted to rain down judgment from heaven. God was very disappointed in their attitude. You need to be very, very careful who you curse because God will allow much blessing to come from it. We know the story of Balaam and I won't go there today. Have you ever noticed how God has blessed people that you don't think that he should? You see, this person will only believe evil about the person he has an offense with. Standing at the door of his castle, he filters out good information at the door of his castle. Everything is censored. And he won't apply any good. He only accepts what he can confirm in his feelings. You see, hate is a very, very terrible thing. There's a story. We received a letter on our website. This is about six years ago from a gentleman. And it was hateful. I thought to myself, that is so sad. Why are people hateful? Because they have offenses they've never dealt with. And when you don't deal with some offenses, some hurt in your life, it will trickle over into everything that you do. Work, family, marriage, children, neighbors, and the list goes on and on. Hate filters out the good and embellishes the bad, regardless what we hear of those whom 
we hate. Three. You could become a destroyer. John 10.10 John 10, 10 says this of the enemy. Turn, if you would, please, with me, John 10.10. 10. And I'll move quickly ahead here. John 10.10. 10. It says this, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Interesting, isn't it? Are you aware that there are some that get their sense of significance by destroying other people? And I could tell you lots of stories about that, and you could share lots of stories about that. People whose whole sense of value and power, self-worth, is tied up in the ability and the desire to destroy. The mother-in-law, she hates the son-in-law. So she drives a wedge right between the two of them. Because you know what she says? I will make his life miserable. And yet, if she would deal with the offense from here to this person, and again, as we go through this series, realize that reconciliation may not be possible with everybody. You have to realize within your heart how you're going to deal with reconciliation, with forgiveness, with understanding with that person. So we see it in marriages. Oh my goodness. We sit in a pew together, and now we bring in the, the law. We bring in the court system. We have X here, X there. They're fighting with each other. It's $20,000 in court fees. And what takes place? And then after it's all done, we walk out, we button it, and we head to church, and we smile after we've just ripped one another up. We drive wedges but you see satan laughs and he has a party when you're having problems so going through this i had to say to myself we've got to stop destroying we've got to start showing love and grace and mercy let me move forward you take the offense into other relationships divorce remarriage as a result oftentimes to bring baggage from the previous marriage you heard me say that and what happens, that hurt and bitterness, it lurks in the human heart, and you both see that they're bitter, and you witness it. Five, a person who holds on to offenses succumbs to idolatry. In 1 John 5.21, you don't have to turn there. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idolatry, period. Amen. 1 John 5.21. I remember as a young man, I stand up here, I do wear a tie, I wear a suit. I was raised in the Baptist background, very legalistic, very fundamental. If the pastor said, get the tie off, it's ugly, it doesn't match your hair color, you take the tie off because it's ugly, it doesn't match your hair color. If the pastor says, you're a piece of dirt, you, you agree, I am a piece of dirt, and that's what you are. 
Well, back when I was 18 years of age, before I even got into the pulpit, because I was the minister of music, I started at 15 years of age. And so I was uh, leading a choir and singing and doing all that stuff as a young man. But at 18, I started noticing that I had irritable bowel problems. Well, here's the problem. When you get into the pulpit and you get up before people and you think somebody's going to scrutinize every little thing you do, you become a little nervous. Well, just to let you know that I've had to be careful over my adult life over the last 25 years to not harbor that bitterness and to not make that an idol. Oh, I ain't going to be like that. Mm-hmm. That ain't going to happen to me. That's, we do that, don't we? I will never go back to that. Wait a minute. I understand that's his love, his affection, his passion for the word, passion for the Lord. But I do believe that we put some emphasis on preferences versus convictions. And so we've hurt people in the church. And so I've had to be careful not to allow that as a little child to not make it an idol, not to revisit those hurts. and those. Listen, Satan loves when there's all kinds of problems in the church. He is throwing a party. And better yet, he's throwing a party when all of you and your families are not getting along. Because, did we not read it? He is the thief who comes to seek, kill, and destroy. And I do believe that many have left the church and made that an idol. The offenses of the church leaders. Unless this matter is resolved to my satisfaction, I can keep telling God, I'm not going. I can do whatever I would like because my position with God, you see, is negotiable. What isn't negotiable is justice or vengeance being brought to bear on a situation that has pained me very, very deeply. You see the idols of the heart and how easy we are willing to give up on God. So we put our relationships on hold until what? Till something is resolved. Is that not idolatry? Something else is more important than my relationship with God. So what do we do about it? Briefly, let me share as I conclude. One, we must confront our idols. Confront them. What is standing between you and your relationship with God? An offense, something that cleaves to your soul, and you say, I can't fellowship or be with people of God because look what has happened to me. And you see, that is the binding power of an offense. Anything that stands in the way of you not loving the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. If it stands in the way, it is idolatry. And we need time in God's presence to see those idols. I'm engaged. My, Becky and I had a trailer out in Charlestown, and this lady calls me up on the phone. Hello. Hi, Todd. I have a question for you. What is your question? I'm thinking, why is this woman even calling me? Does the pastor know that you and your fiancé are living together? I am? How do you know that? 
Oh, I know everything. I'm thinking, you don't know anything. Well, we weren't living together. And I harbored that. I said, first of all, you're, you're starting gossip. I'm a virgin. I'm a 22-year-old virgin. Do I have to tell you that again? Thank you. And the reality is this. I'm not sleeping. Well, this was the same woman that back when Becky was a teenager, she grabbed Becky's arm. She's like, come with me to the pastor's office. And I'm like, oh, I got to see this. What's going on? So I'm standing down there. Her dad walks out of his office, pulls up his britches, gives that authority look. Do I look like you guys? Give that authority look. What do you need, Jean? I don't like her lipstick. And do you know what he said to her, to his daughter? Take the lipstick off. Hmm. So I'm walking in Walmart one day, 13 years later. And guess who I run into? This sweet, loving gossiper who says to me, Hi. I said, can I talk to you right over here in the women's department? So we went over in between all of these coats and stuff. I said, there's something I have to share with you. Do you know every time I see you, I am enraged with anger? She said, why? I said, because the way that you treated me. Do you know when you called me up on the phone, that was offensive to me? And I have thought for years Why did you call me and say that? Number one, it's none of your business what I do. And number two, why are you still meddling in other people's business? And thirdly, now my wife and I are one, and I have slept with her, and uh, put that on the record, four children later. And uh, so I just want you to know that the reality of all of this is this. I love you. And I am no longer, I, I said this to her, I am forgiving you. This is the Walmart in Ravenna. I'm forgiving you what you said, what you thought. And you know what? Only going through this series of offenses, I finally went, oh, okay, wow. That was gone about 10 years ago, that illustration. You see, as soon as I let go of it, I see her out. I'm loving. I walk up and give her a hug. It sure beats me doing this. Here she comes. Slide the clothes that way towards her so she trips. No, I, you know, I mean, that's, that's how I feel. That's my flesh. But I think we do, we harbor that. We want vengeance. We want to get back towards people. And so we must confront our idols because I do believe that offenses separate us from loving God and that relationship. When we have hurt and pain in our life, I will tell you, what does it do to us? It destroys us, and then it, allow, it doesn't allow us to fellowship with God. Because guess what I'm doing? I am constantly focusing on that person, that individual, instead of saying, God, free me from this, deliver me. To turn your stumbling block into a stepping stone. When you trust God and reach out for greater things, you are claiming that all things do work together for his good. And I have to say that this really does take a lot of humility a lot of honesty, and a lot of brokenness. And 
you must realize you must do it in the presence of Almighty God. Denial. If you don't take time to realize it, you will deny it is there. You must give it to God. You have to give everything to God. He already knows, so we must give it to him. Some of you are probably sitting there, they're probably saying and thinking to yourself, but pastor, I've had these hurts and wounds for so long. I have nurtured them. I've nurtured them well. But yet I must tell you this, you have to give it to God. Give it up and lay it down. And I want to read this. Reconciliation comes with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18-21. through 21. Let's read this as I conclude this morning's message on offenses and suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18-21. through 21. God desires a relationship with you. God loves you. And He desires an intimate, loving, humble relationship with you. It's even said here by Paul, as we read in verse 18... And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, when we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, please be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Today I ask you, would you examine your hearts? Lay down those idols. Free yourself and allow God to free you from allowing this very thing, this offense, to stand in the way with your relationship with God. I'm not going to church. Matter of fact, I'm not going to an old-fashioned altar. Matter of fact, I'm not praying. Matter of fact, I'm not going to give to God. Matter of fact, I'm not going to love. But we said in the very beginning, if you want the favor of God, if you want God to change your life, start tearing down those walls, the gates and the bars that hinder us from that loving relationship with God. Do, do you think that this doesn't convict me? Well, it does. Because you see, coming from a background where you can say, oh, they're of the world, and I'm not, I'm not their friend. 
what I had to realize is, well, I can't win everybody because I have a huge beam in my own eye. I need to go stand in front of a mirror and look real close and say, yes, God, I have judged. Yes, God, I have done wrong. Can we go back to loving Him? And this morning as we come to the Lord, I want you to say, I am willing to lay down my pride. I am a sinner and don't know you, God, personally. But today, I too will receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. For others who know Jesus Christ... I plead with you to yield. God, please pull this offense out of my heart. Free me today. Teach me to love. Teach me to forgive. I want you to see something. It's the trap that Satan uses to keep people bound. Be free today. In Jesus' holy, righteous name. Allow nothing to stand in the way of your relationship with God. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning realizing that many of us have been in a place where we have suffered. Lord, we hear throughout America, if you are a child of God, then you will prosper. But God, we know Your Word says that it hinders our relationship when we don't come to You and ask for forgiveness of what we've harbored, of what we've allowed that sin to creep up into our heart and into our lives. God, this morning... There are many that are here, and if they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they can come today during this time of reflection and this time of forgiveness. Draw us to you, God. Bring us to you. And Lord, may we yield our hearts and our life and ask for forgiveness, for harboring such hate and animosity towards someone, somebody, or something. God, today we come to you. And next week as we look at how Cain and Abel dealt with their conflict, God, teach us, Lord, how we need to deal with that conflict in our life. God, we know offenses shall come, and you said, heed them, beware. God, restore our, our hate with love. Lord, we need you. Oh, we need you. In your name we pray. Amen.